Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash NHW. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Merck Sharp and Dome Corporation. Welcome to this Peer Voice panel discussion on melanoma. This activity comprises three presentations featuring Professors Paolo Acerto and Alexander Edgermont and Dr. Jason Luke. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, my name is Paolo Acerto. I'm a medical oncologist and I'm from Istituto Nazionale Tumori Fondazione Pascale, Naples, uh, Italy. Welcome to this activity on uh, emerging data on adjuvant immunotherapy for resected melanoma. What has changed? And uh, we, with me in, in this discussion, there are uh, uh, some important estimated colleagues and friends, I would say, like Professor Alexander Eggerman from University Medical Center, Utrecht and Princess Maxima Centrum in the Netherlands and Professor Jason Luke from University of Pittsburgh in USA. In this first activity, we will discuss about the data on adjuvant immunotherapy for melanoma and the current standard of care and what are the goals of uh, the therapy. Here you can see the melanoma-specific survival for the stage 2B and C in uh, two different uh, uh, databases. Uh, on uh, your left, you can see the database from the Central Malignant Melanoma Registry in Germany and uh, on uh, your right you can see the database from the International Melanoma Database and Discovery Platform. And as you can see in the uh, German database the outcome of uh, uh, the stage 2, B and C patients uh, uh, seems to be a little bit worse compared to the uh, International Melanoma Database. But this is just to say that we have high-risk patients that need, of course, uh, uh, to uh, treatment in order to reduce the risk of uh, uh, recurrence and death. Looking to the um, stage three with the new classification, the eighth edition, uh, uh, the, the patients with the high risk are the patients uh, with the 3B, 3C, and 3D. And uh, uh, it's important also to consider that in the last year we switched from the 7th edition in the 8th edition where some patients with uh, uh, T3 uh, and T4 from the stage 3A went in the stage uh, uh, 3B and 3C. There was also an addition of uh, uh, new pathological categories as the N3, A, B and C and the 3D. So we should consider this when we discuss about the data from the adjuvant treatment because in the last year we had some important data. This first, I'd like to ask to Professor Eggermond uh, the first results about the first new adjuvant trial that showed an improvement in the patients with stage 3A. Yeah, thank you, uh, uh, Professor Asciato. So the first uh, adjuvant trial with the new immune checkpoint inhibitors was with ipilimumab, anti-CTLA-4, the EORTC-18071 uh, trial. And it was a stage three, so lymph node positive patient population trial, where you, we had an induction phase where 
ipilimumab was given every three weeks, four doses at a dose of 10 milligrams per kg. And then there was a maintenance phase where the same dose was given every 12 weeks for maximum up to three years or until relapse, of course, or coming off study because of toxicity. And there was randomization against placebo. And this trial uh, was uh, clearly positive. You see the blue line is the adjuvant therapy with ipilimumab. And the relapse-free survival impact you see on the left, and it led to FDA approval in 2015. And on the right, you see the impact on overall survival, and you see the hazard ratios are basically the same. And there was an overall survival benefit for adjuvant therapy with ipilimumab. So very important data, the first data in the new era of adjuvant therapy. And we have seen that uh, compared to placebo, Ipilima went better, uh, but what about the anti-PD-1, Professor Luke? Yeah, so leveraging that data led by Dr. Egermont um, from ERTC 18071, um, the Checkmate 238 study set out to compare nivolumab anti-PD-1 versus ipilimumab. You see the schematic here um, where nivolumab patients were randomized to get either treatment one-to-one, -one, had stage three disease or stage four resected disease, and were stratified by PDL1 status, and then received nivolumab as we commonly give it, or ipilimumab as previously suggested. And again, sort of similar to what was just mentioned, uh, anti-PD1 improved outcomes relative to ipilimumab. So nivolumab had an improvement in relapse-free survival with a hazard of 0.72 compared with ipilimumab, and that translated into distant metastasis-free survival, which you see on the right-hand side as well. Now, a number of clinical trials in this space have started to look at the long-term outcomes of patients. And so we see now here the overall survival from this clinical trial out at 60 months. And you can see that the curves appear to be overlapping. So to date in Checkmate 238 and some other adjuvant clinical trials, it's unclear as to whether or not relapse-free or distant metastasis-free survival will predict overall survival. So, Jason, and uh, you discussed the data about nivolumab compared to uh, ipilimumab. Are there data also with uh, the other anti-PD-1, pemprolizumab, compared to ipilimumab? Yes, so in the United States, the SWOG1404 or Keynote 53 clinical trial compared standard of care treatment, which could be interferon or ipilimumab, though it was mostly ipilimumab, compared with pembrolizumab in stage 3 disease. And you see on the upper left there the, the relapse-free survival, which was improved with pembrolizumab. Uh, and this was true across most of the, all, all of the pre-planned subsets. But you see there, though, that the overall survival, again, comparing ipilimumab versus anti-PD-1 with pembrolizumab is not obviously different and to date does not appear to show a difference in terms of that long-term overall survival. So again, emphasizing that adjuvant therapy with anti-PD-1 clearly improves recurrence but it's unclear yet whether or not it improves overall survival in the adjuvant setting. We had also uh, positive data from uh, another trial, the COMBI-AD, where the target therapy with abrafenitramethylene for one year compared to uh, a control arm with the placebo showed the superiority in terms of both relapse-free survival and distant metastasis-free survival, as you can see here with uh, uh, another ratio of uh, uh, about 0.5, so the 50% of reduction or elapsed free uh, uh, survival, 
and uh, uh, the same in terms of also distant metastasis free survival. So this is uh, an additional opportunity. But we have seen data of pembrolizumab compared to ipilimumab, but there are also other important and interesting data with pembrolizumab uh, compared to placebo with an interesting trial that probably will give an additional answer to the importance of adjuvant treatment in the field of melanoma. Professor Egermond, what can you tell us about uh, the ERTC-1325 trial? So the ERTC-1325 trial, or Keynote 54 trial, randomized pembrolizumab for one year, dosed every three weeks, flat dose, 200 milligrams, versus placebo in stage three lymph node positive melanoma patients. The unique feature of this trial is that at relapse, you're unblinded. And if you were in the placebo arm, you get the trial medication offered for free for up to two years because of your new status with relapsed melanoma. If you did relapse after having completed your adjuvant therapy with pembrolizumab in the pembrolizumab arm, and you did relapse more than half a year after completing that one year, uh, then you got the same offer. And that is uh, going into part two of the study where we measure the pro progression-free survival impact of the, con of the consequent further treatments. So this trial, therefore, should be capable to pose the question, do we need to give everybody adjuvant pembrolizumab up front, and do we get a better benefit out of that strategy than wait until relapse and then start pembrolizumab at that particular time? The impact on RFS is the same in terms of hazard ratio as the impact on DMFS is the same as it is uh, in the part two trial uh, in terms of the impact on median progression-free survival. So the superior arm in this trial for all these measure points is the pembrolizumab arm. So this would support the data and the impression at this particular point in time that the benefit from adjuvant therapy with pembrolizumab versus placebo is translated all the way into progression-free survival time, even after a relapse. Another uh, uh, data um, analysis shows that it didn't really matter if you had only microscopic disease, stage 3A or stage 3C, multiple palpable nodes, in terms of hazard ratio, the outcome and the benefit of adjuvant pembrolizumab is basically the same. Another point is that this patient population in the Keynote 54 trial was the same as in the COMBI-AD trial. So you can basically make an inter-trial comparison for BREF mutant patients. And so the, the, the three-year uh, measure point here at the pembrolizumab trial is the left panel. It's 62% uh, for the pembrolizumab trial versus 37% for the placebo arm in the pembrolizumab trial. That's an absolute difference of 25%. When you look at the COMBI-AD trial at that three years, the absolute difference was 20% for COMBI-AD versus uh, placebo. The conclusion is that adjuvant therapy with pembrolizumab seems to be 
just as or at least as effective as COMBI-AD in BRF mutant patients. And that's important choice consideration for patients. So thank you, Professor Egermond and Professor Luke for uh, uh, giving us this overview uh, about adjuvant therapy with uh, the last uh, uh, pivotal clinical trial. We have seen that uh, starting with the RTC trial, a TO71 study with Epilimo that showed the a better outcome uh, uh, compared to the placebo. Uh, we, we knew with the, from the trial the Checkmate 238 and also the SWOG trial that nivolumab and pembrolizumab went better than dipilimumab. We also have seen the COMBI-AD that the brafenetramadine went better than uh, the placebo. And again, with the uh, ARTC and Kenota 054 trial, we have just seen that pembrolizumab went better of uh, uh, placebo. So now we have effective treatment that we can use in our patients as adjuvant treatment. Hello, my name is uh, Paola Scerto. I'm a medical oncologist and I'm from Istituto Nazionale Tumori Fondazione Pascale of Naples, Italy. In this second part, we will discuss implications and applications of uh, emerging data for adjuvant therapy of resected melanoma. What are the strengths of, and limitations of adjuvant therapy. How do we implement these emerging data into the practice? So there will, uh, will be the question that uh, we will try to answer uh, with uh, my estimated colleague, Professor Egermond and Professor uh, Luke. So the first question is um, about relapse-free survival. Is uh, uh, if uh, relapse-free survival uh, it's a really good endpoint for adjuvant therapy. It's a really good surrogate for overall survival. And I'd like to introduce this concept with this analysis that uh, some years ago, Stefan Suchu and uh, the ORTC people did at the time of uh, the ORTC trial AT on 71, uh, putting together some uh, randomized phase three trial in the adjuvant setting of uh, uh, melanoma patients. And from this analysis, uh, uh, there was this prediction about the orthotis trial that we have seen that was um, then real that uh, the hazard ratio from the progression-free survival uh, uh, correlated uh, with the overall survival. So having said that, I'd like to ask to Professor Luke uh, this question, if uh, the relapse-free survival is really the good endpoint for adjuvant uh, therapy and uh, what the long-term data show to this purpose. Yeah, so we have now a long-term follow-up in terms of five-year follow-up from Checkmate 238, which people will remember was the trial comparing nivolumab versus ipilimumab. And you can see that that trial does not really show a difference in terms of overall survival with that long-term follow-up. And that was similar to the SWOG 1404 study, also comparing ipilimumab but with pembrolizumab. There, again, no difference between the long-term outcomes for patients. So it's unclear at this point whether adjuvant immunotherapy improves overall survival with anti-PD-1. With targeted therapy, BRAF and MEK inhibitor treatment, there appeared to be what was emerging as an overall survival advantage at about three years of follow-up, with a major difference in distant metastasis-free survival and some difference in overall survival. Curiously, however, at the five-year report for dabrafenib and trametinib in the adjuvant setting, overall survival was not reported. And it makes one wonder whether or not with the increasing use of anti-PD-1 in, in the metastatic setting that that benefit may have changed. 
But big picture, it's clear that adjuvant therapy reduces recurrence. Whether or not on median that changes long-term overall survival still remains unclear. So, Professor Egermond, I'd like to know your thought about this because uh, we discussed a lot about this point uh, during the first ORTC trial. Yeah, so this trial, ipilimumab uh, versus placebo, showed basically the same as the ratios in impact on relapse-free survival, distant metastasis-free survival, and overall survival. And there was therefore a clear overall survival benefit in that trial. And that was because of the randomization against placebo. And at that time, there was no widespread availability of anti-PD-1 in the countries participating in the trial to sort of correct the placebo arm curves after relapse with anti-PD-1. And I think that's the reason why we see a overall survival benefit. Professor uh, uh, Egermond, uh, uh, what uh, the um, ORTC trial 1325 Kenoto 54 uh, will tell us about the long-term effect and the tolerance about uh, uh, immunocheckpoint inhibitors. So what happened when the patients uh, uh, who are in the placebo arm will cross and will be treated with checkpoint inhibitors? So there, if you were in the placebo arm and at relapse, you were then treated with uh, pembrolizumab, we see a 39-40% response rate. So you see completely what you expect uh, in this patient population. In the patient population, however, who already had finished a year of adjuvant pembrolizumab and then did relapse more than half a year after stopping treatment, we saw in the initial but small patient sample of only 11 patients, we saw hints of a reduced response to re-challenge with uh, pembrolism. Uh, when you look at the curves, you see, however, that there is no big makeup uh, phenomenon in the placebo arm compared to the uh, pembrolizumab arm for the use of pembrolizumab after relapse. So, my prediction would be that we would, in the end, be able to see still some difference between the patients who had started out on pembrolizumab and the patients who would have been exposed to pembrolizumab at a later phase and were originally in the placebo arm. That's the status right now. So thank you, Professor Agarmond. Uh, if we put together all the relapse-free survival curves from uh, the COMBD, the Kenoto 54, and checkmate 238, uh, uh, at five years, the outcome is uh, really the same. So this is something that uh, we cannot do from a statistical point of view, but it's just uh, to try to understand if there is one treatment that can be better than another one. So it seems that in terms of efficacy, these treatments are uh, all similar. But what is different is uh, the safety profile. Still, Professor Egermond, what can we say about uh, the safety of uh, this treatment? So for the adjuvant ipilimumab trial, there is a very clear conclusion. And that was that the dose chosen at 10 milligrams per kg was too high. And this was associated with much too high immune-related adverse events profile and toxicity profile, meaning that most patients already stopped or stepped out after three or four doses. But still, they all picked up the ipilimumab beneficial effect with those 
small number of doses. It also meant that there's no indication that maintenance dosing is necessary. Uh, regarding pembrolizumab, um, pembrolizumab has a much, much lower immune-related adverse event uh, profile, except for the percentage of thyroiditis ending up in hypothyroidism. That is around 20%. And it's basically very similar with nivolumab. So with the anti-PD-1s, we see that. But the percentages on hypophysitis, uh, on colitis, on type 1 diabetes, on adrenalitis, on dermatitis are much lower than with uh, um, ipilimumab. And so nivolumab and pembrolizumab have the same but very well tolerated um, spectrum. Um, how can we implement this data into the practice? Uh, how are the current uh, uh, guidelines? So at the moment, uh, in the international guideline, adjuvant treatment, uh, nivolumab, pembrolizumab, dabrafenitrametri are considered the standard of care for uh, the patients with uh, stage uh, uh, 3A, B and C and 4 resected. Uh, we will discuss later about the stage uh, 2. So these are important treatments that are available for our uh, patients. But it's emerging another concept of the neoadjuvant. The neoadjuvant treatment is a really promising approach and the difference if we consider immunotherapy compared to the adjuvant is that when we treat uh, patients with the tumor uh, still on site, we increase the number of immunosystem cells that are reactive uh, against the tumoral cell. And when we resect the tumor, we have uh, more immunosystem cells that uh, can protect the, the patients from uh, the, uh, the, the relapse. We have seen in several trials, in a pooled analysis, that if we got a pathological complete response with immunotherapy, this is different from target therapy because uh, these patients can uh, have a long-term benefit and we can also say that pathological complete response is a surrogate of uh, the long-term benefit. Uh, having said that, Professor Eggermond, what is emerging from the adjuvant st studies now? So interestingly, SWOG, the S1801 trial, was presented at ESMO 2022. They randomized the approved adjuvant therapy of 18 doses pembrolizumab every three weeks for one year versus giving the first three doses prior to the planned lymph node dissection. Instead of doing the lymph node dissection first and then giving 18 doses of pembrolizumab, uh, only uh, adjuvantly, and it's amazing the impact. Look at the t at the curve on the right hand. The top curve makes a great difference versus the bottom curve. Both arms receive basically 18 doses of pembrolizumab, but the top curve received the first doses, three doses, prior to the lymph node section, meaning that neoadjuvant therapy is going to be the changing way to go because it will induce greater number of T-cell clones and greater amplitude of T-cell clones. So neoadjuvant immunotherapy is now the ongoing revolution, and it's vastly superior to any other neoadjuvant approach. So what it promises is more cures, shorter treatments, and less surgery. Three beneficial components. And all this was initiated 
in palpable macroscopic stage three melanoma, and the outcomes were fantastically high. Pathologic complete response rates, fantastically low relapse rates, and fantastically reduction of the need of therapeutic lymph node dissections. So it delivered already in the melanoma field, and we have seen that now also delivered in MSI colorectal cancer, and we expect this same delivery in bladder cancer, cutaneous squamous cell cancer, and multiple other tumors. So thank you, Professor Eggermon. During uh, this part, we discussed uh, uh, the rule of relapse-free survival uh, as important uh, endpoint and useful endpoint for uh, uh, the patients treated with uh, adjuvant. We have seen that with epilimumab, there was a correlation uh, between relapse-free survival, progression-free survival, and overall survival. In the trial, uh, where anti-PD-1 were compared to epilimumab, uh, uh, because the crossover, we didn't see an impact on overall survival, but still we can consider relapse-free survival, uh, the data about relapse-free survival important. We've also heard from Professor Eggermon that in the ERTC trial, some preliminary data suggests that probably there still will be, in terms of overall survival, in the Kenoto 54, where pembrolizumab was compared to placebo, the, uh, an advantage for the patients who started pembrolizumab at the beginning, and we also heard from Professor Luke that at the moment in the new trial, no news, but we have an important news from the new adjuvant that Professor Eggerman showed us that now the Zwog trial 1801 showed that the new adjuvant, new adjuvant treatment with pembrolizumab, tricycle, surgery, and then adjuvant pembrolizumab was better compared to the uh, classical adjuvant uh, therapies. So please join us to the next part. Hello. My name is Paola Scerto and I'm from Istituto Nazionale Tumori Fondazione Pascale, Napoli, Italy. And uh, I'm here in this part with my estimated uh, colleagues, Professor Eggermond and Professor Luke, to discuss how to identify patients that would benefit from adjuvant immunotherapy to prevent melanoma recurrence after uh, resection. So before start the discussion, uh, I'd like to show you again the um, melanoma-specific survival by stage from the AGC-8 edition in order to compare the melanoma-specific survival of the stage uh, 2 with the stage 3. And it's interesting to see that the patients with stage 2B and 2C looking to the melanoma-specific survival have uh, more or less the same uh, melanoma-specific survival of uh, the patients with the stage 3B and looking the to see this is also worse than the 3B. So just to say this, that uh, we need uh, uh, adjuvant treatment uh, even for this kind of, uh, of a patient. So uh, having said that, Professor Luke, um, how done in stage can we go to still have patients who benefit from uh, uh, checkpoint inhibitors adjuvant treatment? Yeah, that's a good question, and I think that's probably an evolving part of the field, but making that observation that you just did, that some patients with stage 2 disease are at, at least as high a risk as stage 3, we set out in a clinical trial called Keynote 716 to study whether or not adjuvant pembrolizumab would improve the outcomes for those patients. And in the study, we randomized patients one-to-one -to, -one to receive either pembrolizumab as standardly dosed in clinical practice and per keynote 54, which was the stage three trial, versus placebo and then followed them over time. 
And we have the preliminary data so far, but I'll note there was also a crossover in this trial, so we'll be able to look at long-term outcomes as well. And the primary endpoint in Keynote 716, again, of pembrolizumab in stage 2B and 2C melanoma, was a positive trial at the first evaluation. So when we looked at 12 months and then 18 months, we saw a clear separation with an improvement in a hazard ratio of about 0.65 for patients, 35% uh, improvement for patients in relapse-free survival who received pembrolizumab versus those who didn't. And when we go to 24 months, we see that this continues to be sustained, again, with approximately a 35% reduction in recurrence. And we'd emphasize that these data are actually pretty early or immature, as we might say, and really emphasize just that patients with stage 2B and 2C melanoma are at high risk and benefit from anti-PD-1 with pembrolizumab just the same way patients with stage 3 disease do as well. So interesting data. Um, however, if we look the placebo R, the patients that uh, are... Uh, uh, that are still good uh, at two years, it's, it's high, it's about 80%, though there is a lot of uh, patients that can still have a benefit even uh, if uh, they uh, uh, didn't get uh, a treatment. And of course, the question is uh, uh, how uh, we should consider this data in, uh, in our clinical uh, practice. In other words, uh, how we can uh, consider this treatment important for our patients. Some years ago, uh, during uh, an ESMO uh, consensus, uh, we discussed about uh, the absolute benefit uh, of uh, uh, adjuvant treatment uh, in, uh, in general and in terms of overall survival. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, after a strong discussion, uh, we uh, all of us uh, were agree, agree that uh, we need uh, at least a 5% of absolute uh, gain uh, in order to consider a treatment uh, uh, really important for patients. And uh, you know that uh, the number of patients that we need to treat in order to say one, it's an important parameter in order uh, to consider or not a treatment and uh, 5% of absolute gain correspond to a number of patients that we need to treat, say one of 20. So this may be considered a sort of cutoff. We don't have uh, the data in terms of overall survival, but if we consider the number of patients that we need to treat in order uh, to avoid a distant metastasis, uh, at uh, 24 data is 17. So it's uh, you know, good within the limits that we discussed during this consensus. It's probably with a more follow-up maybe even uh, um, better. But the question is still that the number of patients uh, in the placebo harm that are to here are still distant metastasis-free is high. So we really need a biomarker in order to be sure who are the patients that uh, can be treated uh, in order al also to avoid uh, uh, useless uh, toxicity. So, Professor Eggermond, uh, the, 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 the field of biomarker is really important. And uh, how do you see this field? And is there something that can help us in uh, predicting the patients that can get a benefit? Yes, yeah, so we have developed a, a gene expression profile 
that makes an algorithm in combination with two clinical pathologic characteristics that we have on all patients, age and breast low thickness. And that algorithm actually identifies the patients who are central node negative, but will still relapse. So in 854 patients, look at the left panel in terms of relapse-free survival. The top curve are the ones who are sentinel node negative and low risk uh, algorithm. The bottom curve are the ones who are high risk algorithm and sentinel node positive. But the group of interest is especially the ones who are sentinel node negative, but have a high risk algorithm gene expression profile. And that's the dark blue curve in the middle. And that identifies those patients where 25 to 30% will have relapsed by five years. And these are potential candidates for adjuvant therapy, therefore. It translates into the same observation for dysmetastasis-free survival and the same risk of dying in melanoma-specific survival. There is another algorithm that is being used in a trial called uh, the uh, melan trial in Germany for high-risk stage 2 melanoma, where adjuvant therapy in stage 2 melanoma patients is randomized to observation in patients who are high-risk using another melogenics uh, test, GEP. If you have a low risk, then you go into an observation arm. Only the ones who are identified as high-risk by the GEP are being randomized between nivolumab and observation. So, Professor Eggerman, we discussed about immunotherapy, but what about uh, the target therapy? Yeah, in the BRF mutant melanoma patients, there's still the question, would there be a benefit of the combination of a BRF and a MEK inhibitor, in this case, ancorafenib plus uh, binimetinib versus placebo, that would be greater than the now approved adjuvant therapy benefit that we have observed with pembrolizumab that was discussed by uh, Professor Luke. And we have, are running a concurrent uh, trial at this uh, point in time, the EYTC2135 a trial in stage 2B slash C. The problem with the trial could be that in the face of an approved pembrolizumab regimen, the recruitment of this trial uh, uh, might uh, take longer than foreseen. Yeah, I agree. So, Professor Luke, is there a future for using the circulating tumoral DNA as a marker? Yeah, so I think biomarker development for adjuvant therapy really is a, one of our highest unmet needs to limit this overtreatment problem we have. And you allude to circulating tumor DNA, which is an emerging concept across all of oncology, noting that tumors can shed parts of their DNA, which can be picked up by sequencing in the blood. Uh, and I think jury is still out in melanoma on whether or not this is going to be feasible. At the ESMO meeting this year, Georgina Long presented data from uh, one of the clinical trials in the adjuvant setting showing that actually only about 16% of the patients could be picked up for ctDNA positivity. So that's a pretty low number relative to the number who are likely to recur, and so it's not really clear yet whether or not that's going to be feasible. And if we did have that, though, we could put it in the context of other biomarkers that we do know from the primary tumor uh, or from the nodal metastasis can predict recurrence. 
And those are biomarkers like interferon gamma gene signature, as well as tumor mutational burden. And those have been well described across all cancer types as predicting immunotherapy outcome. So really, I think between the gene expression data, between ctDNA and these other biomarkers, we really just really need to harness these and drive forward into a world where we treat the right patients. And that's probably the biggest question facing the field moving forward. Thank you, Professor uh, uh, Luke. So in conclusion, uh, what we can uh, summarize uh, uh, for, uh, this, uh, from this discussion? Uh, surely we have uh, a treatment available, effective treatment like the combination of BRAF-MEC inhibitor, the braf and anti-PD-1 like nivolumab and pembrolizumab that we can give to our patients. For the stage 2B and C that we know have a melanoma-specific survival similar to the stage 3 and more the 3B, uh, we need to do something and now we have data that suggest us that uh, for uh, this kind of patients uh, we can use it, we can offer uh, uh, the modern adjuvant immunotherapy. However, it will be important for the next future uh, to know who are the patients who can get a benefit from this treatment because uh, the percentage of patients uh, from uh, the control arm that can uh, have a benefit is still high and uh, we heard from uh, Professor Egermont that uh, there are some gene signatures at the moment are also in evaluation in some perspective clinical trial because we can also offer uh, adjuvant uh, uh, treatment for the patients with early stage but with probably a signature that can predict high risk uh, over life. So the biomarkers will be really important but there are some other interesting combination uh, in the clinical ongoing clinical trial uh, that uh, will give us additional information uh, in the next future. So the discussion was really, really uh, interesting and I'd like to thank uh, uh, the estimated colleague, uh, Professor Luke and Professor Egermont, for the discussion, and I'd like to thank all of you for your attention. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.